reason I'm a Muslim is the same reason I'm a big 49ers fan. You know, my dad was the same thing when I was a kid. But we're the Muslims. Nice and aggressive you. Normally that would hurt my feelings, but like, like you guys were like, like one yard short of really hurting my feelings. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is a free agency preview. The LA Rams decided to change their logo quality to match their football quality. And with me this week to tell us his game plan to defeat El Cuco, it's David Newman. Uh, I would have probably started by trying the yelling thing earlier. Yeah, the I would whole, have screamed at him earlier. The whole, yeah. uh, uh, quick spoiler alert for uh, The Outsider. Uh, yeah, but damn you to hell as like the magic word to stun uh, just mass assassination was surprising. As an aside, I cannot hear El Cuco without thinking about being cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Oh, man, I'm going to go every every single time. I'm going to go one step weirder. There is uh, an old Latin song called No Te Metas Con Mi Cuckoo, uh, which is basically like it's look, it's it's a, it's a pretty misogynistic song, but. It works. My parents just listen to it, as a, and and that's what I think about whenever I hear that as a child. It's pretty wild. Yeah, um, I, I I can't not like. Is my brain just doesn't allow it to happen? There were lots of things about that show that were wonderful. I liked it. I enjoyed it from the get go. Your your take on because I turned you on to this show, and you were like you excited to get it, and then mm-hmm. you were like, I I don't know that I want to be on this journey with you. Eh, like it was just yeah. I think I mean it was. Uh, I think most of it was good. There was more good than bad. It was yeah. just kind of like the ending was a little anticlimactic. Yeah. That's all. I get it. It's yeah. it's a Stephen King thing. It happens. The the ending that wasn't climactic though was The Bachelor. I I want you to watch this. Like oh. I wanted to watch The Bachelor with you because <laughs> Barb throwing barbs was I mean it was I was living life. We watched it all on Tuesday. We recorded both so we could fast forward through a bunch of the crap. It was great. But lots of things are happening in the off season. That the cold open was Asan Ahmad. He's a comedian. He posted that clip on Reddit of him in Tacoma, Washington, basically trolling Seattle fans. And I loved it. I thought it was great. Incredible. Uh, Sent him a message on Reddit. And he was like, yeah, that's super cool. If you like podcasts, you should listen to mine. And I was like, oh, that's super cool. I know all about that. I have one, too. It was the most should listen to my podcast it was like two millennials bumping uglies over the internet it was <laughs> it was terrible it's like like yeah, everyone has a podcast it's great um but let's talk about some free agents because this is our free agency preview again condensing it to one week um and the title of this free agency ain't free uh, because it's like a it diehard not. movie title at this point because there's there's a lot of things that need to happen in order for the niners to spend any money which is a different place than we've been because usually it's like where are we going to spend 50 mil this offseason? Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, we've I've spent like what? Like usually at least around three episodes or so previewing free agency. Yeah, in, we tear the them out. We years. go by positions, positions of need. There's typically a lot of them. There's I mean, we're talking about trying to keep together a Super Bowl roster at this point, not yeah. necessarily construct a mediocre one. It's just a much different offseason. Yeah, you're you're no longer the spot where it, it is no longer like, can we afford these players? It's which ones will we be able to get and do we want to go after, right? right. There's always been kind of the approach going into it. So we're able to look at a much wider range of players and like, okay, does this guy make sense? Does this guy make sense? And we can kind of go through the whole gauntlet of it. This is not the case this year. This is a 
uh, is going to be a condensed free agency preview for us, and it is going to be a condensed free agency period for the 49ers. So as I sit here and I sip on my Cano Bliss from Oscar Blues, a tropical IPA, as the can says, uh, let's talk about the the wave of free agency that we're going to play in, because really the, the years of playing in the first wave of free agency are no more. The Niners really only have $13 million in free space, and they freed up the majority of that space by restructuring two contracts, Quan Alexander and Weston Richburg. So you, you have 13 mil that you can play with. The Niners can add about 12 million in just some outright releases. Jarek McKinnon, Marquise Goodwin, Tevin Coleman, and Mark Nazacha. That leaves them with about 24 to $25 million in available space to play with unless they do some additional restructures. That's not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money when you start thinking about what you want and what you need to pay. So let's go through what it may cost to keep the magic of 2019. You've got, and, and these contract values are going to be from over the cap, but you've got Jimmy Ward, who's about 9 million, Eric Armstead, who is any going to be anywhere from 10 to 15 million, depending on whether you sign him to a long term deal or franchise him or transition tag him or do one of those things. Sanders, which is 8 to 10 million. If you opt to extend Kittle this year, you're going to take his cap hit up because he's only counting $2.2 million against the cap this year. We haven't even gotten to the Ronald Blairs and Demontre Moores of the world. If you just add up Ward, Armstead, Sanders, and a Kittle extension, you're looking at like $30, $40, 45000000 million right there. Easy. You can't keep everyone. So at this point, the question becomes, which ones do you keep? Which ones do you let go? Um, I think we talked about our preferences last week a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're going to talk about some of the other places where you're going to try to get some value in the exclusive rights free agents and the restricted free agents because they're also a part of the magic that went to the Super Bowl as well. Right. So you're going to have some guys in, in the exclusive rights and restricted that um, are, are players that are very likely, if you want them to be around, to remain on your roster is, is typically how it's going to go. Um, and it's good low cost moves like these that they're going to need, right? There's not, you know, necessarily a ton of exciting players, but there are definitely a few names that are um, on there that have been contributors for this team um, and, and that are good, like depth pieces that you would like to have around if you can hang on to them. Because again, you don't have the cap space to work with. Um, and so you want to try to really extract as much value from the players that are going to be on your roster as you can. Yeah, I mean, looking, I'm just thinking about what it would cost, even if you just went Jimmy Ward and Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, on a one-year deal, depending on how you kind of slice and dice it up, that could be $18 million of your $24, $25 million that you have available in those two players. Right. So I think, yeah, looking at the amount of space they're likely to have available, you know, barring anything completely drastic and unexpected to, that's going to happen to free up a lot more spaces, uh, I, I think you can realistically fit about, you know, two guys in, in there it, around that, like, almost $10 million a year type range. Because you got to remember, you also need to keep... Um, a little bit of space. I mean, they don't have a lot of draft picks this year, um, so it's not going to be a huge amount for your rookie pool that you need, but you're going to have a few million there that you need to have to be able to sign guys. And nobody likes to be able to, or likes to go into the season fully up against the cap, right? You want to have at least a little bit of wiggle room there. So if somebody yeah. goes down with an injury in camp or you decide that you need to make a move in season, you know, you have a little bit of flexibility there. So you're not going to bump right against that amount. And so I think the dangerous thing that they could run into, which is something that happened a little bit with these restructures, is you start kicking that can down the road a little bit and you said, okay, we're going to we're going to give them a multiple year deal. It might be only a two or three, but we're going to give them a low cap hit so we can fit these guys in in 2020. 
and just give him a b- bigger cap hit later. And I think that's not a, a great strategy. Like you can you can do that a couple times, right, and have a few players that maybe uh, it kind of fit that type of contract structure, but it is not something that you want to do consistently because then you run into situations like, I mean, with Quan Alexander and Weston Richburg, you're stuck with those guys. Yeah, um, at I this mean, point, I mean, they are, are going to be on your roster for the next two seasons. What they've done with those two contracts is they basically added voidable years to the end of the deal to help soften and, and really take the blow out of a given year and move it a little bit down the line. And, and what that does, though, is it makes it more expensive to cut those players later yep. because now you have accelerated cap hits. And that means that you're basically stuck with them. That's what Quan Alexander did. That's what Weston Richburg did. That's how the 49ers freed up $12 million this year. But it means that those players are going to be with the 49ers really for the foreseeable future. And we'll talk about how that matters a little bit later in the show. But let's talk about some of the the actual straight-up free agents that may be important to bring back because we talked last week about how we would absolutely re-sign Jimmy Ward. We would absolutely try to re-sign Emmanuel Sanders. We would let Eric Armstead walk. I think part of letting Armstead walk is hopefully signing players like Demontre Moore and Ronald Blair. You you get Ronald Blair hopefully at a discount because of his ACL injury. And I think Demontre Moore came in and played well in limited play. He played well in the AAF. He's someone that we really, really liked. And he broke his forearm, so it's not going to be a debilitating long-term injury. But I think those two players are the types of players that you bring in to help bolster this roster in rotation. Because at this point, the Niners roster is in a place where it really needs to find value. They need to maximize the performance that players are going to bring them and, and basically have them outperform contracts. Yep. That's how that's how teams win Super Bowls when the players like George Kittle, who have an under million dollar cap hit, are playing like Travis Kelsey, who has a 14 million dollar cap hit. That's the kind of value that you generate when players outperform their contracts. Uh, and that's why you don't want to pay top dollar to a player who's not going to play like they're a top dollar player. Yeah. And, and as fun as it was to, you know, have what five first round picks that you've got on your your defensive line there, like it's never realistic that you're going to hang on to those guys, right? Yeah. Like uh, you, you're you're going to have to pay them. You're already paying a couple of them. Um, you know, it, it's just not a situation where you can feasibly keep all of those guys at the, the prices that they're going to command once they hit the open market. And so, yeah, you have to decide which of those pieces are going to be kind of the ones that you want around long term. Um, and then from there, you need to be able to fill out around them with depth, right? You need to keep that kind of uh, those depth pieces, the guys like Blair, like Demontre Moore, who aren't going to be the flashiest players, but, you know, have versatility. I mean, Ronald Blair is a nice piece because he can move around and play basically everywhere along the defensive line, right? And and so having guys like that that you fill in alongside of your your Bosa's and your Ford's, like, that's the piece you need. Like, you just can't keep all the stars. Yeah. Like, it's just not going to work. So the Niners have a couple of exclusive rights free agents, and these are players that have reached the end of their contract with two or fewer accrued seasons, and an accrued season is six games on the active roster. These are players that are basically making league minimum salary. They're super cheap. And for the Niners, this is where they're getting a lot of their depth production, where they're outplaying their contract. You look at someone like Dan Brunskill, who was playing like a top of the top half of the league tackle over the course of the, the games that he played in the NFL last year. Ross Dwelly, who can catch footballs, and not all tight ends can do that. <laughs> um, Emmanuel Mosley, who may be the starting cornerback, yeah. full stop next year. He's going to be making peanuts. Nick Mullins, greatest quarterback of all time, according to our uh, morning out. basketball league. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jeff Wilson Jr., who is a running back, 
who exists. Uh, and he's performed Accurate. well. And he's performed well in spot check, spot duty, uh, in his limited play as well. That the Niners have some serious value there. And, yeah. they, and they've tendered all of those players, league minimum salaries. That's that's good. That's a good place to start. It, it, and it's like, I mean, you look at even Nick Mullins, right? We've made a lot of jokes at Nick Mullins' expense. Uh and I think rightfully so in a lot of ways, but like, hey, like a, a backup quarterback making $500,000 a year, like that's not terrible that, you know, can like come in and at least win games. Uh, yeah. Be be a guy that can run the offense, right? Like at least you're not going to be, uh, you know, completely dire there. Um, it's that's that has some value, right? I think especially when you look at guys like Mosley and Brunskill, though, like guys who can be significant pieces there. I mean, having a swing tackle, we, we saw the the injuries that they've had along the offensive line, um, you know, the past couple seasons, like having somebody who can step in in multiple spots, you know, especially at tackle, though, and, and not have a significant drop off from your starters is huge. Like a lot of teams just don't. I mean, a, a lot of teams in the NFL are struggling to get two competent tackles on the field to begin with as their starters. And so if you have a third guy in there that you feel comfortable with that can come in and not have a huge drop off there in pass protection, like that's it's huge. And again, to get that kind of production for 500,000 is is a really big win for your team building uh, you know, strategy there. So now we get to the restricted free agents. And these are players that have three accrued seasons at the end of their deal. And this is where things get a little dicey. So we're going to play a little game, David. We're going to play a little game. What tender and why? Uh, not tender, tender. Simmer down. Keep it in your <laughs> pants, buddy. Uh, so you've got a first round tender, which this year is estimated by over the cap to be about $4.6 million. And basically what that means is when you tender this free agent at this level, you get right of first refusal. They can negotiate with other teams. But if they sign with another team, you get a first round pick, which is great. Mm-hmm. But it costs you $4.6 million for the year. Not as great. Uh, second round tender is $3.2 million. As I'm sure, listener, you've surmised. Uh, it is indeed a second round pick in, in compensation if indeed they sign an offer sheet from another team. And then you get to the original round tender, which is $2.1 million. And, and this is interesting because let's say that player is an undrafted free agent. As I understand it, this becomes useless because you get no draft pick compensation because you didn't draft them. You signed them as an undrafted free agent. Uh, and that leaves the right of first refusal tender. And this is the lowest level you can match, but you get no compensation if they leave and go somewhere else. So there are three players that are ex- uh, that are restricted free agents and really two because one something's already happened with one but we'll go with it anyway uh kendrick Bourne, he was a tier four player in our roster breakdown would you tender him at what level and why uh right of first refusal so the lowest level lowest level all right why um because i'm not spending 2.1 million dollars or more on a receiver that i don't even know is gonna like consistently crack my lineup well you have to remember too that kendrick Bourne was an undrafted free agent yep. so he an original round tender would basically be a oh, first right yeah so i mean you have to go second round tender, second which, round is 3.2 tender mil. which is not happening yeah i mean we'll we can get the spoilers out of the way here first and second round tender is not happening with any of these guys <laughs> well let's talk about elijah lee are you sure he's not going to break that first and second uh, round tender quite sure okay. lowest level incidentally elijah lee the team has already said they're not extending a tender to him Fair. But they'd like to bring him back on a one-year salary that's just not as high as these tenders. The correct choice. The league minimum salary is what they're angling <laughs> <Yes>. for. <laughs> um, and, and then you've got uh, the darling of the podcast. Really, the, the train, mm-hmm. the engine that's powered this pod for a solid two years. 
That's Matt Breida. He is a restricted free agent. He is a running back. He is, in my heart, a first-round tender. But what is he actually, David? Uh, what would you do if you were the GM of the Niners? Would you tender Matt Breida, given the, the running back situation for the Niners or not? Um, I would consider the right of first refusal for him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the max right. The, thing, the trap that you can't fall into um, is thinking, okay, so we got to steal with this guy as an undrafted free agent. We need to keep him around. Like the correct reaction to that is we got great production out of an undrafted free agent. Let's go grab some more undrafted free agents or late round picks and see if we can find another guy. Right. You just kind of keep replacing those backs, um, I think, is the correct way to you know look at the running back position today. Like there are very few players that are worth even really considering a second contract. Um, they're just not worth there. There are so many good quality running backs, especially in a system like Shanahan's that has consistently been able to get production. I mean, just look at last year's roster, like as the perfect example, right? They had guys kind of all over the map in terms of how they acquired him and what their career looked like up until that season. And they got production out of every single one of them, right? Like it just didn't matter who they put out there. The offense kept chugging along and they were just fine in the running game. I think this is the hardest thing for me as a fan is to remove the sentiment of loving that player and understanding that they're a human from, yeah, from sure. the fact that I, I want Matt Breida on the team. Of course. I want him. I yep. think he's a good player, and, and I think that you know it, it's a good story all around. I, I love the guy. I want every Niner that is good and can contribute to be a Niner forever it is, is what I want as a fan. But mm-hmm. the, the unfortunate reality is that that's not how you run a franchise. Because when I look at how much running backs get paid, I'm looking at, okay, a first-round tender, almost $5 million. I mean, that's what Tevin Coleman is making. Someone else who I think is is potentially on the block to save some money, right? But you look at players like Mark Ingram, who's making $5,000, 5000 dollars $5 on average this year. Deion Lewis, Christian McCaffrey, but he's on a rookie deal. Um, these are players that like... Three to four million dollars is like near the top end of what a running back should really be getting in the open market. I don't know that Matt Breida is going to get that level. And because he was an undrafted free agent, now you're left with maybe a second round tender. But the Niners have so much money locked up in that damn running back position already that I don't know that they can afford to keep paying running backs three, four, five million dollars. And so as much as I love Matt Breida, I kind of tend to agree with you. I think because he's an undrafted free agent, maybe the max you'd go is right of first refusal. Um, But at that rate, it's like, why not just see if you can negotiate some kind of a one, two year deal with them and, and yeah. see if you can get a hometown discount and and not actually expend that one year? Because if some team comes like Tampa Bay, apparently there was like some Twitter talk that I saw Josh Norris is like, let's get Matt Breeder to Tampa Bay. It's like if Tampa Bay comes in and offers them, you know, 10 million over two or three years, I don't know the Niners can match that. I mean, they shouldn't even consider it. Yeah. Good for you, Matt Breeder. Like best of luck in Tampa Bay. Like hope living in Florida isn't so terrible. But take your money, right? Like, Flamus Jameis is going to be great. Absolutely, like go do your thing there. But you should not at all be considering, you know, paying him anything near that amount. You just don't have the flexibility to do that. Like the yeah. the position just isn't important enough to justify spending that significant amount of your cap space on a player like that. Yeah, and and I think you have to look at the complexion of it because this is where really it becomes about hunting for value and. If you can get value out of the map readers of the world, out of the Jeff Wilsons of the world, out of the Raheem Mosters of the world, like we got a little bit. I was looking through the the Niners Nation comments in our tiered 
breakdown of the roster last year and easily and we knew this was coming but easily sure. the the number one thing people said was Raheem Mostert a tier five player I can't believe you would do that uh, you know Matt Breida I kind of get it but whatever like they did they didn't react super well to us putting running backs in in tier five in general and and I think and I understand how someone would get there right if, if you're if you're not in the running backs or replaceable camp I totally get it I understand it entirely but I think I keep going back to something you said earlier, which is, yeah, but look at the complexion of the team this year, right? It was a free agent running back. It was an undrafted. It was another free agent running back in Mostert that we signed off the street. Yep. Um, it was an undrafted free agent in Brita, another undrafted free agent. And that's the complexion of a Super Bowl running back group. Yeah. We should look to do that again. And there, there was no noticeable difference whatsoever to, like with who you had back there, right? It like didn't matter. There were games where every single one of those players like produce big numbers and looked really good and looked like the best running back on the team. I mean, it, you know, as we were talking about it throughout the course of the season, where it's like, is, is Matt Breida the best running back on the team? Is Raheem Mostert the best running back on the team? Like it was just consistently evolving, like from one guy to the next, right. It's just kind of like who had the hot hand in that game, which was just like largely more who got the good touches when the yeah. offensive line was doing their thing. And, and uh, I think that's the way that you need to look at it. Like they have an offensive line, that has the exact same group back that that is shown that they can run block well and open up some big holes. And I think really the only thing that we've seen that we really need out of that running back position is some speed. You know, you, you get those holes open and that's the thing that Shanahan likes. Re- the reason he likes having those fast players back there is like, let's turn some of these, what would be five, six yard gains into more explosive 10, 15 plus type gains, right? Yeah. Because we've got that speed that can really take advantage of those openings when they present themselves. Um, and, and I think that's something that's a, a commodity that you can readily find, right? There's just, there's so many places that you can go and get some running backs with good speed that you can plug in a zone system. All right. So that's kind of what the Niners are doing in terms of it, their, their internal players. You've got restricted free agents, you've got exclusive rights, free agents, and you've got potentially some actual free agents that the team might want to resign. But now it's time to go and try to hunt for some value out in the world because Free agency is happening. I think the thing looming over the the NFL is how much the cap is going to go up. If the new CBA is approved, you might see a higher cap, which gives the team hopefully a bit more space in order to sign some of these players. But when we're looking at the landscape of free agents, there's a couple of things that we're looking for. We've already talked about value. We've talked about how that's imperative and, and you really need players that perform beyond their salary. But the fit matters. What the Niners ask of their players and the specific roles they're looking for, it does make a difference, right? You're not probably going to look for a box safety to replace Jimmy Ward. You're yep. going to want someone who fits more of that free safety. Uh, and so you're not going to try to lump box safeties in with the free safeties. In an ideal world, you're looking for tier three or tier two players. Reminder that the tier three player is a veteran who comes in and produces. Tier two is ideally someone that you can build uh, a franchise around. I don't know if the Niners are going to be in a position to sign any tier two players. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty much completely off the table right yeah. now. Um, and and I, I added something special for this year, and it's the Shaq Barrett Award. Like this, because <laughs> remember, we, we found Shaq Barrett last year. I mean, we found Shaq Barrett. Like, yeah. we, 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 he was a guy that we thought that could come in and, and produce like with a good amount of value, right? That likely wasn't going to get a big contract in free agency, but it's shown some skills and, and could come in and produce. But I think Shaq Barrett is how we, that to me is the, the way that we want to approach free agency, which is okay. Let's find a player who's in a situation for one reason or another, where it looks like they can and should perform well, 
but haven't gotten the opportunity or they're undervalued because of circumstance or there's something that is depressing their value such that you can get them for a one or low year deal for a little bit of money and have them outperform that deal before they move on to the next team hopefully in a method that gets you a compensatory pick like that's the dream <laughs> absolutely because if tampa bay were to let shaq barrett go and he goes and makes 15 17 million because now he's this premier edge rusher tampa bay not only gets those those sacks for this year but then they get the comp pick on i forget what his salary was i think it was like a five or seven million dollar salary yeah it was not high not uh, high for an edge rusher i'm gonna look that up here in a minute because i don't remember exactly what that was but that that process of finding someone like that is how we're approaching um hopefully the rest of this and i mean given the niners cat situation honestly the, the cupboard's a little bare right. the, the positions we'll talk about specifically are the positions of need wide receivers safety interior offensive line and linebackers and so we're going to jump into these positions talk about individual players that may fit that role what we think they might cost and what the Niners should do but before we do that let's take just a brief break to hear from our sponsors all right let's start with wide receivers because the Niners are if you had any design of Amari Cooper entering <laughs> the Niners full I think you should just go ahead and give that up uh, basically the Niners are going to be looking at something like I don't know, best option if this were not the 49ers already, I would say is probably Emmanuel Sanders. Because yeah. that's like, it's when you look at the landscape of what the Niners could get in free agency, there's just not a lot out there that fits what they want to do, what they do well, and what they should pay for. Right. So I think when you look at the fact that they're just unlikely to be involved at all in some of the top guys, right? So you can kind of eliminate... The guys like Cooper, A.J. Green, you know, I think he's probably likely to stick around in Cincinnati anyway. I think they're going to franchise tag him or whatever. But, you know, Robbie Anderson, even I, I could see being priced out of their range. Like really, once you get down into the guys that, you know, they could theoretically get if they decided like, OK, we're going to go at receiver as, uh, you know, kind of a, a position of focus that of the available cap space we have, we want to spend a decent portion of it kind of shoring up this position, right? And they're going to go after a guy there. Emmanuel Sanders really is, I think, the best kind of available guy yeah. there. Um, you know, he hits on, I think, the value aspect of it, right? So I think he's going to come in at a much more reasonable cost because of his age. But as we've talked about before, you know, I don't think that the age is a huge deterrent for him on a short-term deal as far as what you would expect production-wise. I think he is a player uh, that is an incredible route runner, is just like a smart, heady player that that is going to be able to work the intermediate routes, going to work the short game stuff. Um, and he can fit into this offense really well and produce at a high level because he's not somebody that's necessarily like overly reliant on athleticism to win. He, he doesn't only win with speed, right? That you're worried about kind of falling off a little bit as he gets older. Um, he can come in and still be able to produce it at a high level, especially in this offense that, uh, you know, again, relies heavily on the short and intermediate game in the passing game. I think if you're looking at someone like Robbie Anderson, he is the deep threat, but the Niners have a deep threat in Marquise Goodwin that they just don't use. They leave him on the shelf. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily a skill the Niners are looking to try to maximize in this offense. Maybe they do, but if they do, they already have Marquise Goodwin on the roster. And I would throw, um, if if people are interested in Brashad Perriman, is yes. like a reason why, even if he were to be available, because you know, you'd know you see him being available for a reasonable price, because if teams are smart and not like quite ready to buy into the, the one-year contract, or the one-year wonder type of thing and give him a big contract, like maybe he's available for a one-year kind of prove-it deal, but again, it goes then to fit, and, and I just don't see 
how he, he like he's a guy that won really on the vertical route tree and it's just not something they go to yeah. consistently. But he is someone that you would typically target because he's a talented yes. wide receiver. Yep. He was a first round draft pick. He's got he's got tools. He just didn't really find a place to put it together. That place seemed to be Tampa Bay. And and I think, you know, if the Niners were to want that element in their offense, he could be an option because frankly, at this point, I think that Marquise Goodwin's best value at this point would be maybe trade bait. Like that's that bringing up cap space. Yeah. Or bringing up cap space. I mean, he was definitely a a cut option as we were looking to save some money for the 49ers, but he's got a palatable contract. He's only going to hit, he's only going to count about 4 million against the cap in 2020. It it jumps up to about 6.5 million in 2021. But if you're a team that actually uses vertical routes and, and employs that quite a bit, I could see six and a half million, not being that big of a deal. Uh, If you're going to trade for someone and get basically Goodwin for two years, if he is traded or released, his cap hit is only $1.2 million. Again, another palatable number. But if indeed he is traded and you're not going to be in the Robbie Anderson sweepstakes, a player that might be available that could fit that role is Taylor Gabriel. Now you get into like the, the, the Shanahan connections. Right. Taylor Gabriel is available. He's played well in the Shanahan system. Um, and, and he would effectively be a Marquise Goodwin replacement if the Niners wanted to go that route. Right. And, and I think that's when... I don't know. You wonder, like, trading is one he going to be cheaper? Like, yeah, like yeah. I, I certainly don't think that you're going to get a significant difference in production, right? I think, um, it, it, from a player talent standpoint, I don't think there's like a huge delta there. I think the the difference is like, okay, with another off season, Garoppolo, Garoppolo another year removed from uh, knee surgery, like maybe they start to make that more of a focus this year. Like, okay, we do want to work some of those deep passes more in. Um, I, I think it's really it's purely an opportunity based thing, right? I, I think if Taylor Gabriel was signed and and they cut or traded Marquise Goodwin and Gabriel came in and have a big year because they decided to throw the ball downfield more often, like that would be the reason why, not because yeah. Taylor Gabriel is a significant improvement over Goodwin. But but you look at what Taylor Gabriel does in the underneath area, and you've already got Richie James, who's cheap as a holy get out, and you've got Debo Samuel, the guys there, right? Yeah, Trent you, Taylor, maybe if he can ever be healthy, like but, I don't know. But basically, most of your players not be ready. Most of the players on your depth chart right yeah. now, receiver, are those kind of guys. They can do that. The the deep routes. I mean, you you okay? Like, are you going to pay what could be four, five, six million? Because you look at his con- and he signed a twenty six million dollar deal with the Bears. Whoo, oh boy, uh, yeah, fourteen million guaranteed uh, with the Bears, and he was cut. So at this point, you know, it's like, are you going to pay four or five million dollars when your speedster already is making four? You know, like that's kind of like it's like one six of one, one half dozen of the other. Yep. It doesn't make a ton of sense unless you trade Goodwin and you want to fill that role. But the other one is Justin Hardy. And Justin Hardy is a player that would be like the Jordan Matthews of the group. He's not a player you write home about. He's nothing like super duper great athletically, but he's got really good hands. He has a 4.3% drop rate over his career. Uh, his career has 139 targets. That's like one season of top end <laughs> of a top end <laughs> player. Uh, Keenan Allen this season had a 4.6% drop rate on about the same number of targets. This, of course, is one season for Keenan Allen yeah. as opposed to a career for Justin Hardy. But that's really his value. His value would be just like, I would say it's like a, a almost a tier five, tier three hybrid where he comes in as maybe a veteran presence that doesn't cost you a whole, whole lot of money that has some experience in Shanahan's system that played well in 2016 in Atlanta. But that's it. Right. And that's not the kind of player that you really need, right? That you want to be devoting limited resources to. So yeah. like, I, you know, what Very they limited resources, right? What they they need right at, at receiver is somebody who can actually come in and compliment Depot Samuel and be a reliable, you know, 
obviously George Kittle is going to be your number one option in the passing game, but you need somebody there that can be kind of that second, third guy with, with where you have the, the trio that they had this year, right? When you had uh, Kittle, Debo, and Sanders. Like they, ideally, I would think you would like to keep that kind of thing where you don't have, you can't just isolate a couple of guys, one guy in particular that is yeah. going to get a, a large share of the targets, right? You need to be able to kind of spread things out a little bit more, be threats at multiple levels of the field. And, and so they, they need a guy that can handle a, a more significant target share. Can C.J. Beathard play wide receiver? Go. No. <laughs> move, no. move him to wide receiver. This is, this is what you do with quarterbacks, right? Yeah. Uh, sure. You know, Lamar Jackson, move to wide receiver. Uh, you know, this is what you do. Uh, yeah, I think there's something drastically different yeah. <laughs> about those two players. <laughs> All right, let's uh, basically overall better rival stamp of, approval, stamp of approval strategy on wide receivers is go get Emmanuel Sanders or develop the hell out of what you got on the roster. Yep, uh, stay away. Or draft a player, which we'll get to our Ideally. draft preview in a bit. Sure. Uh, but let's get to safety. So safety, you've got Jimmy Ward. Similar kind of situation with a wide receiver. He's kind of option number one. Um, the, the hope with Jimmy Ward is you get some value because he finds a soft market because of a, a one-year bounce, right? For the, for the very same reason that we were not advocating signing Eric Armstead, I think you, you could say, yeah, this is going to depress Jimmy Ward's value. The difference, I think, with Jimmy Ward is that he plays a position that impacts the game that where you don't have a ton of replacements, uh, quite a bit different than Eric Armstead. Um, and it's going to be in terms of actual just raw dollars. Yeah. Eric Armstead's going to be $14, $15 million. Jimmy Ward's going to hopefully be 8 9 10 which when you're only dealing with $24 million in free space, that dollar matters. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think that's really the the thing. We know that the coaching staff likes Jimmy Ward, right? We we know that he can do multiple things in the secondary. Um, we've kind of believed that he can do it. it you know, it was just this was the one year that we've actually seen it from him. And, and, and so I think if you can bring him back, he gives you a bit of a hometown discount. Like, absolutely, that that's something that you need to strongly consider doing. Um, I think if you start looking at options, for them to okay, we're going to let Ward walk, or maybe he just gets a much stronger market than we than we expect, right? There's some team that really buys into uh, his 2019 performance and is is ready to give him the dollars, and he's like, out. Oh, okay, I can't I can't turn this down. Um, I think the one thing you have to consider, and we're, obviously we're going to talk about some external candidates, um, but I think you do have to look at how comfortable would you be with Tervarius Moore because there there is I think a realistic scenario where you do lose Jimmy Ward. And you don't have like some of the the guys that are available get priced out of what you can afford in free agency and you end up with not a ton of options at that position. And so your fallback right now with guys under contract and on the roster, Tarverius Moore is the next man up, so to speak. And so I think first off, like, are you comfortable if that happens or is that like a complete oh no panic like this is something that needs to be addressed it's probably in between there i wouldn't oh no panic Mm -hmm. but at the same time i wouldn't feel comfortable there uh it's a it it would be like wearing jeans in 85 degree weather it's like should i be wearing shorts (laughs) probably but can i tough this out Mm, i think maybe you know just talking about the humidity (laughs) level right um that that's probably where i'm at with that scenario I, i do think that in the secondary you do need more players to come in because you never know which DB is going to take that leap or be good from one year to the next. We thought a killer with a spoon was going to be awesome. And turns out he had a crap year and then he comes back and has an okay year. Um, you know, and that could be Tarvarius more, I think getting more players in that room that could actually play well is going to be better for the team than just putting everything in the Tarvarius more bucket. 
And and so for me, that's where I look at players like I mean, there's there's other players in here that are probably out of their price range, like Justin Simmons, Anthony Harris, Devin McCourty. Um, you could even think of someone like Haha Clinton Dix um, that could fit that role. Um, but there's another player in this area that I think makes more sense if Jimmy Ward ends up leaving. Right. And and it is a player that for some reason, like I just don't understand why he continues to bounce around. People hate dreads. Um, yeah, yeah. It is it is some serious discrimination against dreads, I guess. Um Trey Boston um has just been a guy that I, I believe we brought him up last year uh, as a part of our free agency preview. He is like um, forever the sidecar to the better rivals. Hey, we need a safety. Right. It, it's just like he has consistently been able to produce when you allow him to play as like a deep free safety, right? He really does excel in that role that, that the 49ers use a lot, right? When you look at, they do play a lot of cover three, cover one, where you've got the one safety um, that's back there in the middle of the field. And that is really where he fits. He's not a box guy. Hasn't been a box guy. Cause I think that's the other thing, right? Is, is when you're looking to replace Jimmy Ward, you have to look at, okay, what did Jimmy Ward do last year? And even though he's bounced around a bunch Last year, what he did and finally did well was play that deep free safety role. About uh, almost three quarters of his snaps were with him lining up at a deep free safety position um, to start the play. And so that's the kind of role that you're looking to fill if he leaves. And I think Trey Boston is exactly that guy. That's what he's been in in every single one of his stops. He has experience in a very similar defense, you know, played with the Chargers uh, who are running basically the same base version of this defense right played well for the chargers played well for the chargers yeah and and so um i think he's a guy that you know we watched a little bit of uh today and and kind of had our eye on you know for some time and i think he just is a very natural fit in this defense it was cozy you know we we moved the the nursery into one of our spare bedrooms and so the the other spare bedroom uh we just basically have a bed in there uh but interestingly enough we have an ethernet port in there uh, and David's computer, which we were watching the clips on, can apparently only connect to the internet via Ethernet. So, you it's know, we, we cuddled, we snuggled. Uh, I called Big Spoon. Real comfy. Uh, and we watched some Trey Boston. And, and it was good. He, he may actually be a, a better on-the-ball player than Jimmy Ward, even if his tackling is probably not as good as Jimmy Ward. Because Jimmy Ward can tackle. Um, and, and as you adroitly said while we were watching film, it's a 50-50 proposition as to whether that uh, tackle ends <laughs> in a successful tackle or a broken bone. And but Trey Boston, not as good of a tackler as Jimmy Ward, but he makes some really good plays on the ball. Right. I think that's when you look to kind of compare the two players. Um, Jimmy Ward, I think, is a far he's a safer option. Right. Um, he He's a guy that's a known entity and that yeah. there's value in that. Yeah, he's uh, he's not going to make a ton of splash plays, but he, he usually doesn't have a ton of screw ups. I mean, he mixes those in there every once in a while, too. But, um, you know, he he's a guy the last season, at least like not going to make a ton of plays on the ball, not going to be a huge playmaker for you back there, but he's also not going to hurt you a bunch. And like I said, he's going to, he can be a guy that comes in when you're that last line of defense and and can be a sure tackler and get the guy on the ground. Right. Um, Boston, I think is a little bit more, I I don't want to say like totally high risk, high reward, because I think that implies that he's has more bad plays than he really does. Like, I think the main thing with him is the tackling, right? He does, uh, he, he's kind of a Quan Alexander-esque in, in his <laughs> tackling and that he's, uh, he flies around back there, like he can cover a lot of ground um, and he gets a little reckless at times. And so there, there, there are some times where he just ends up looking uh, a little silly in some tackle attempts because of that. But he makes a lot of plays because of it as well. I mean, I think we were both like really impressed seeing him make plays on the ball in a variety of ways, right? Like he can not only 
turn and run and find the deep balls, the stuff behind him, right? Where he's got to turn and open his hips and, and run downfield and find the ball. Cuts those crossers. Yeah. He, like he is really good at making plays and coming up to yeah. crossers that are coming across the field. And the thing is too, is that he's also, you can tell that he is football smart on tape. Yes. He never leaves himself out of position. And when he does come up to try to make a play, he always knows. And he does so in a way that is within the structure of the defense. He has that deep coverage and so he doesn't just kind of cavalier everywhere and say, well, I'm going to go do this because I guessed right. He knows how to play well within the structure of the defense. And that's good. It, it's really good. Yeah. And I think so when you kind of compare something like that part of it, I think really to Jimmy Ward, right? Jimmy Ward is a guy that largely is going to. So when you're in that kind of deep middle free safety, right? Ideally, what you want to be responsible for is you're, you're looking for them to kind of be able to work between the numbers. Um, it most kind of depending on, on the depth of the throw, right? But the further, essentially the further downfield the throw is the wider you kind of expand that, the width of the field that you want them to be able to cover. But one thing you don't see a ton of is guys who can really affect the throws that are in kind of that like 18 to 22 yard range. You, so you get a lot of like the deep crossing routes, some of the, the deeper dig routes that you get in, in passing concepts, um, so a lot of that stuff that breaks over the middle of the field there at that depth, a lot of safeties just aren't going to be able to make plays on it. Like Jimmy Ward, I think the way you would see him approach it is I'm going to be safe. I, I need to make sure that I stay on top of everything. Nothing gets behind me. So I'm not really going to be able to strongly drive on some of those routes that are happening in front of me. Boston has a really good feel for kind of seeing the full picture of the route concept knowing where his vertical threats are coming from and recognizing when he can take some of those chances and be like, okay, I know that if I drive on this route, I don't have a risk of somebody beating me behind me, right? And, and kind of blowing that deep coverage. And so he's he's able to kind of get into that 18 to 22 yard range and make plays. And sometimes that's actually driving on it and actually meeting the the receiver at the catch point and being able to make a play on it. And also, like sometimes, you know, it's a little bit short. Maybe it's a 15 yard route that he can't quite get to, but it's a high throw and it gets tipped up and he's there to make an interception, right? Like he's he's putting himself in position to be a factor on those type of throws, which not every deep free safety does. So overall, I think the strategy at safety is you definitely want to try to sign Ward. But the key here is if Ward's market ends up being higher than anticipated, you don't want to overcommit a ton of dollars to Ward. When you have someone like Trey Boston available, this is a strategy that I don't know the Niners are very good at executing. I think when they yeah. have their guy, they focus on that guy and they want to pay that guy a ton of money, irrespective of what their value may be on the open market. And so I think that ultimately, they, they it should be Ward or Boston as their strategy here in free agency. Uh, but I think they're probably going to stick with Ward. And and again, if that happens, I wouldn't be mad about it. It right. just it has to be at the right price. They can't pay him. Yes. They can't pay him fourteen, fifteen million dollars a year. They, exactly. They've got to try to pay him somewhere in that like eight to ten million dollar range. Hopefully, over you know four or five years. I do think the benefit of Ward is that because he's still relatively young, you would be able to sign him to a four or five year deal, which would amortize some of those cap hits put in roster bonuses. It would make it easy to get out of after a couple of years. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're signing Trey Boston, it's probably a two-year deal. So any guaranteed money is going to be felt in the next two years. Yeah. And I, I think uh, kind of the final point from a secondary perspective, you know, we talked about this a little bit before. Right? We, we were kind of unsure as to how much we wanted to spend time on it. But I think like looking at some corn, depending on how things fall, right? If you can get one of these safety options at a reasonable price, um, I think looking at 
possibly some of, you know, the if you get a week into free agency and there are some cornerback options available, I think that's also something you would need to consider. Um, from a secondary perspective, you know, I think one of the things that you really need to focus on is having enough good coverage players, right? You don't necessarily need a ton of great ones, but you can't have a lot of weak spots. I think, um, you know, Eric Eager, uh, who is, you know, part of the research and development team for us at PFF, had a really good article recently looking at kind of, is it more important to have those elite coverage players or does it matter more to have depth? And kind of one of the things that he found is like, the breaking point is kind of like, how good is your fourth and fifth best coverage player, right? Those depth players, because you obviously The guys need, that Kyle Shanahan wants to attack. Yeah, like that's the thing, right? A, a defense, you're kind of hamstrung a little bit in that you can have a great corner there, but as an offense, you're able to kind of, you know, you're the one that has that free will to dictate where the ball's going to go. Um, there's nothing you can do as a defense to say, we're going to set up this way so that we force every single throw to Richard Sherman. Right. It's just not possible. If they don't want to throw to Richard Sherman, they're not going to throw to Richard Sherman. They're going to look elsewhere. And you can't compromise your defense in a way that like tries to make it very obvious to throw his way, or you're just going to be in bad trouble. Yeah. Um and so there, you there need is to some value. Guys. Yeah. And, and there is some value if the market doesn't materialize for some of these players. I think you've got players like Trey Waynes, Brian Poole. Um, that could be uh, Ronald Darby was another one yeah. uh, that stuck out to me that um, was good for a couple of years, had a bad year last year. But yeah, ultimately, the, there are players to be had. And I think the key here is players that you can get on a relatively inexpensive deal if you want to add some additional uh, players like a Jason Verrett, right? Which I think the Niners yeah. hopefully are open to do. Uh, open to doing, rather, uh, is another deal like uh, the Jason Verrett deal. And I think Jason Verrett's probably uh, played his last snap for the 49ers. <laughs> Maybe I feel bad for that guy. I really, really, do. really wanted him to try to get uh, a chance at getting on the field, but it's I know. Tough. But yeah, that's. I mean, like you mentioned, that that's the kind of thing that you want to look at, right? Is is a guy that, um, for whatever reason, his market might be a little bit depressed. You know, for somebody like Wayne's, it's that he's been kind of shaky. He had to overcome a pretty shaky start to his career, and yeah. um, he hasn't necessarily lived up to the first round, you know, pick status that he he was at, but he's kind of developed into a pretty solid guy that I think fits well in their defense. But now that the shine's off that first round thing, right? Now that he's yeah. just a, a guy and you don't have to pay the first round pick premium, he's a guy I think that you could target to be like, okay, he's got some talent, obviously. He was drafted in the first round. He hasn't played abysmally poor. I mean, honestly, when you look at his performance and you look at his PFF grades specifically, they're on par with some of like uh, Akella Witherspoon's grades. Um, yeah. And so I think that, you know, that's the kind of caliber player coming, you're, you're bringing in. If you can bring him in for, you know, if his market gets depressed, you're probably looking at something like three, four million. But that's already eating into like a good chunk of, of that, you know, $24 million. Right. I think the way. Yeah. But the, the way to write to look at it is like, yeah, maybe this is, maybe it doesn't happen. Not saying that it's absolutely something you need to um, go out of your way to make happen. But they should be aware, like when you get a week into free agency, all of the big name guys and it happens every single year. There are a few players that like everybody kind of expects to get more money and then for whatever reason, a market's just not there for them, right? And so if all of a sudden you're a weekend and you're seeing some of these guys linger around that are going to want to maybe take like a one-year prove-it type deal for pretty cheap, they need to be, I think, at that stage of free agency, ready to pounce on some guys that maybe slip through the cracks, right? I think that's the the point of bringing up cornerback. You're not so solidified there. Like, yes, they have some options. Um, you maybe feel like some of those options are promising, 
but it, it is by no means a position where you you wouldn't want to bring in either somatic competition or just have some depth. You know, you're you're likely to deal with some injuries there. You want to have a, a number of good coverage players if you can. I've got a name for you. I think you're going to love it. Tremaine Brock Sr. Never heard of him. I know you haven't. Uh, but he could be someone who could come in could uh, and play, <laughs> play well. He's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, actually played decently well. Okay. He uh, wasn't, last year. He wasn't yeah. completely terrible last year. Uh, so, all right, let's get to the last two general position groups because they are the position groups that didn't provide a lot of players that we thought to ourselves, okay, these are players we have to go out and get. You look at the interior offensive line, it just overall is a free agent class. It's, it's really top heavy. The Niners are not going to be involved in those top heavy contracts. And after those kind of like top players, like the Brandon Sheriffs of the world, Every significant player is under contract for the Niners, and they're like you, everything beyond Sheriff is like, eh. I don't right. know that anything is is really worth going out and getting. So I don't know that the Niners should really be super involved in this area, right? So I think when you look at like these last two positions, you look at interior offensive line, and then we're going to linebacker as the last one. Um, I think are very different degree of need compared to wide receiver and then, you know, safety slash defensive back, right? I think wide receiver, defensive back, these are, are especially if you're, you know, losing Jimmy Ward, you need some players there. Like that, that is what your focus needs to be spending your available resources needs to be to find some guys there. When we look at interior offensive line and linebacker, it's more like when we're looking at the roster as a whole, like we did, you know, with our, with our breakdown last week, it's like, okay, these are positions that, maybe we'd like to be stronger at, right? I don't. I certainly think there's room for improvement there, but you're bringing back every single one of your guys from last year. You're you're going to be fine if, if you just kind of trot out the same group that you have. And I think interior offensive line very much matches that, right? You've got your guys there. They're still under contract. You're, you can trot out the same five starters that you had last year if you want to and keep that continuity. Like if, a, if, a, if an upgrade was available at the right price, would you want to consider that? Sure, but I think... This just likely isn't the offseason, the free agency class to like meet that need where that value is going to come into alignment. Yeah, I mean, if you can get Ben Garland back for a super cheap deal, that seems good. Um, he played actually fairly well when he was replacing Weston Richburg. But other than that, it's like, can Dan Brunskill play everywhere? Right. Is the question I've got, <laughs> yeah. ultimately. Um, because he played, he played decently well at guard after a rocky kind of start against Aaron Donald, which is the norm for sure. NFL interior offensive linemen. But... Yeah, I, at that point, you're looking at, I think, similar kind of situation where your overall strategy should be sig- significant bargain, depth players, or likely draft picks uh, at this point. Yeah, you've got some of the, you know, some of the only draft picks you've got left are those late round ones, you know, like maybe you're looking at using one of those on, on a guard or something like that. But I mean, we obviously know the tackles are there. Yeah, the center Richburg's going to be there with this restructure. You're not getting rid of him. So like the potential spot for improvement is if you can find something with with one of your guards and it's just like in free agency, the couple guards that are there are going to be well out of your price range. And so at that point, it becomes, OK, I'm looking at, at depth pieces in free agency, maybe. Um, and then, you know, possibly a late one of those late round draft picks. I'm looking there. Yeah. And, and then when you get to linebackers, you you I mean, I think you said it perfectly. Your starters are basically set. You've got Dre Greenlaw, who at this point probably should be a starter, but may not be when Quan Alexander gets back. And and you look at there, I think there is probably some value to be had there in other players. You're looking at players like maybe Josh Bynes or Kevin Pierre Lewis, but there's nothing about that spend that makes me think you need to go out and do that right now. 
um, when you have other really pressing needs like wide yeah. receiver and safety. Um, because I would much rather have the Niners spend their available $20, 24000000 million on a safety and a wide receiver than I would have them spend it anywhere else. Um, yeah. I think they can absolutely make do with their linebacking core as is. Um, hopefully Aziz Alshair gets a bit of, you know, seasoning and, and develops into something a bit more. Um, who knows if that'll happen, but yeah, I think that's where you're at with the linebacking core. You, you hope that's the case. And so I think their strategy for linebacker really should be hopefully to develop their talent, maybe churn and, and bring in another kind of player or two. I mean, Hey, David Mayo had some positive snaps after <laughs> he was released by the Niners. So he's, he's probably out there. Yeah, so yeah, right. I, I think it's like you may see uh, some movement at the bottom of the depth chart on this one. And and, uh, and you look at guys like um, what Zocha that we talked about earlier as a possible cap casualty. Um, you can free up some space there. $1.5 million for Nazacha because he's a special teams ace. But that's, uh, I mean, $1.5 million. That's- Special teams ace really screams $510,000 minimum salary to me. I don't know. May might just, just be me. Um, but yeah, I, I think you, you can go like, again, are, are there question marks with this group? Yes. Like Quan Alexander has been inconsistent and, you know, you don't necessarily know a hundred percent what you're going to get from him week to week. Um, I think Fred Warner is the one you feel best about. I think he's definitely the best player in this group. Um, strong in coverage, exactly the type of player that you want in today's NFL linebacker. And then Greenlaw is is a guy that I think developed certainly much better than I thought he was going to be last year when he was pressed into action. Um, but as a guy, again, you you want to be careful not to overreact to that kind of limited sample and, and say, okay, he is he's certainly done enough that we want to give him additional opportunities, but we shouldn't be so confident with him that we're just ignoring all other possibilities, right? So I think it's one of those, uh, again, like offensive line where if the perfect situation falls into your lap and you have an opportunity to upgrade, you're not going to necessarily turn that down, but it certainly shouldn't be your primary focus in this offseason. Yeah, I could easily see the Niners because the Niners have two fifth round picks and, and we're not at the draft preview portion yet, but I could easily see both of those fifth round picks going to a linebacker and uh, an interior offensive lineman yeah. in, in some order. And and that makes a ton of sense. So it's a, it's a very different type of free agency, but it's it's one that we're here for. Trying to sign your players, trying to keep the magic alive, uh, and, and ultimately trying to not play with the big boys, let them all spend their money, uh, and yeah. we'll go do some other stuff. I right. mean, sec- second way free agency is going to be interesting. And I think in a lot of ways, right, it's it's smart to take that approach um, in general. Like, I, And I know that's something that we've kind of talked about you know, most off seasons really, and, and kind of like always trying to find value in free agency, especially, but they have had the luxury of having a ton of cap space and, and being able to kind of go after whoever they want to essentially. Um, and so now I think you're at a point and the, the good part of it is, you know, like I think the bad side uh, to start there is like they, some, there are some contracts that aren't necessarily great and that's eating up some cap space that maybe you would be better off kind of diverting that to another, another position, another player, um, but they've also built a good roster, right? You're, you're coming off of a Super Bowl appearance there. You don't have a ton of glaring needs, um, that you need to go out and fill. So there's not a ton of turnover that you need to look at. Like you're, you, we were looking at with this team three years ago when everything, um, you know, when Shanahan and, and Lynch first came in. So it's a much different situation, it's a much better situation on your roster that you, you want to feel good about. It just means that, the offseason is likely to be less exciting, less interesting than it's been yeah. in previous seasons. For me, it's all about the team picking its spots correctly. 
Yeah. Because they, they can't maintain all of the same exact roster from 2019. But if they pick the right places to spend money to continue that party, then they'll do fine. I think, yep. uh, you know, wide receiver and safety, of course, they shouldn't continue spending money on on Armstead and, and unfortunately, Matt Breida. You know, I think that those are the areas you can probably take a couple of losses and still be fine. If they don't sign a wide receiver or they like don't sign a safety, that's where now your prospects for 2020 look um, well, now you're hoping on that draft, really. Yeah, I mean, running back right now, like what you don't want to do is you're already spending essentially league high amounts on with just the guys under contract right now at running back when you include fullback in that mix and at defensive line, right? You're already setting the bar league wide for what you're paying those positions. Um, God damn it, one, David. one if, of them you probably shouldn't be setting that if bar. we're not going to win Super Bowls, we're going to win something. And specialists, top five there. Um, man, <laughs> that sucks. Really would like to not have a $5 million kicker, but that's beside the point. Um, so you can't do that everywhere, right? I, I think is, is the point. You can't go and spend at the top five of the league at every single position group. You want to prioritize the most important ones and then find areas uh, in the other spots you can get value. I think running back is definitely an area where they could use to shed some cap space and and stick to finding kind of some cheaper players there so that they can divert that money to other more important spots. And that is where we leave you. I think that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Free agency kicks off in a week, I think. Uh, a week from today, I Presuming believe, yeah. the CBA doesn't like put everything on pause, uh, much like the NBA season, which is now officially... Uh, right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, I saw that notification. Yikes! Yeah, that's uh, that's wild. Having the NBA canceled uh, or not canceled, but postponed because uh, I guess Gobert tested positive for coronavirus, which, is, which apparently, like he, they were going to go out for tip, and then they basically said stop and so brought everyone back. He essentially, like a couple days ago, I guess. Um, I don't know. I saw like I didn't see this. I just saw like somebody talk yeah. about it, but um, in the locker room was joking about how he couldn't get it and went around and was touching all of the reporters' oh, get microphones. Out of here. Yeah. Uh like Jesus. went and touched all of the reporters' microphones on Jesus. there like as a joke of like, oh there's no way I'm gonna get it. I'm not saying um, I believe in karma. I'm just saying But and yikes. Yikes. Yeah, indeed. All right. Well you can always follow me on Twitter, uh, where I promise I will not spread you with the coronavirus uh, <laughs> at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Uh, that'll be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always Go Niners.